you're tuned into the Comics Pals podcast. We're a group of journalists who've joined forces to do a show together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So now let's just quickly introduce the Comics Pals. Uh, very few of you will know who we are. Uh, most of you will not. So um, I'll start off. I'm Sean Bartley. I'm a comic book journalist. Uh, I've written for websites uh, talking about the thing that we all love here, which is comics. And uh, I'm excited to be doing this with uh, my friends. I'll pass it off to Pete. Okay, um, I'm Pete. I am a pop culture journalist uh, with a focus in video games, comic books, um, movies and music a little bit, uh, television too. And um, I also am a member of a YouTube channel that I founded last year called Slack and Slash, which you guys can check out. We'll have a link in the description. And uh, yeah, same as Sean. I'm just excited to kind of have an outlet to talk about comics again since um, I haven't been doing that regularly for a while now. So really excited to do the show with you guys. Oh, and I'll pass it off to Kale. Uh, my name is Kale. I am a comics writer. Uh, I founded a small company with my uh, college classmates called uh, Panels Publishing. Uh, we're a small comics company uh, that... Uh, really tries to focus on getting novice uh, creators published and uh, get them, you know, sort of uh, experience in uh, in the workplace, so to speak. Um, I love comics, and I could take or leave the rest of these guys. <laughs> uh, Marco, who are you? Oh, I'm I'm last. Oh my god, this again. Goddamn diva. <laughs> I don't know, okay, okay. Motherfucking um, diva. <laughs> uh, I'm Marco, and um, I am pretty new to comics journalism. That's kind of how I met uh, all these guys, these really awesome guys here. And um, <clears throat> what are we talking about? <laughs> who, who are you? <laughs> oh, you oh yeah. I... <laughs> yeah. Talk about your band, Marco. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and you guys might uh, know me from my uh, blues rock jazz band uh, Voodoo. We're a band in based in New York, and I also help produce a, another podcast called Parlopod. Um, both of those will also be linked in the description below. That only leaves one man, the one, the only, the myth, the legend. Hi, I'm Phil. I didn't mean to sound like Kale when I said that, but here we are. <laughs> uh, hi, listeners. I'm Phil. I'm human garbage. Uh, like a hermit crab, I wear a trash can around everywhere I go for shelter and protection from predators. I survive off a diet of banana peels and apple cores. Uh, I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things, but they're about uh, they're about worth as much as the content of my banana hammock I wear every day. Which you couldn't see because of the trash can I wear. Um, I like comics. I like long walks on the beach. And I like our new trademarked Marco Chewable Enemas. <laughs> Pick them up on the Comic Pal store! <laughs> For a limited time offer. <laughs> so, I want to talk a little bit about how we all got into comics. Because I think, uh, especially for kids around our age, the story is always kind of similar. But uh, I'm personally always interested in hearing people's kind of comics origin stories. So, uh, Pete, why don't you start us off? 
Um, like you said, I think my story with comics is pretty typical of, of people our age. Um, I'm 23, so I grew up in the 90s. Uh, my relationship with comic books started with superheroes, uh, specifically the X-Men and Spider-Man. And then a little bit later, uh, Batman and Superman through, um, you know, all the cartoons, specifically Bruce Timm's work was a real favorite of mine. Because um, as much as I really liked the X-Men and Spider-Man, I really wasn't a huge fan of those 90s cartoons after, like, I was a little older. I think I, like, I you, the internet can flog me for this, but I really don't think the original X-Men cartoon is very good, aside from the theme song. Like, the animation's not very good, the voice acting isn't very good. But that kind of, like, second wave of them, where they really started to nail these characters and the mythos and stuff like that, um, were a great gateway for me as a kid. Uh, that got me into actually reading comics. I went to, like, one of the local comic book stores in my town, and um, the first comic I ever picked up was Spidey and the Mini Marvels, which was like a kid superhero book about Marvel characters as if they were like children. So like Spider-Man had a paper route instead of being a photographer, stuff like that. Uh, and I picked up like Uncanny X-Men and uh, Amazing Spider-Man after that and read comics throughout my childhood off and on and kind of fell out of them for a few years, but got back to them when I was a teenager, thanks to uh, Brian Michael Bendis's um, Ultimate Spider-Man run. And um, from there... Like, I kind of transitioned into reading independent comics and image stuff once um, they killed off Peter Parker in both Marvel universes, kind of forced me to <clears throat> walk out of my comfort zone and look for new characters to identify with. And um, specifically, The Walking Dead was, like, my first, uh, like, exposure to image comics aside from Spawn, and that was kind of what got me into independent stuff. And um, as for what I'm reading today, uh, my favorite comics are Invincible, Saga... Um, Why the Last Man and Scott Pilgrim are probably like my top picks if I had to think about it. Yeah, um, I would say that uh, my kind of intro to comics is, is similar to yours, Pete, <clears throat> in that, uh, you know, I got into them through the animated series. Uh, X-Men was one of my favorites, so I guess we kind of clashed there. But uh, Batman, all the Bruce Timm stuff, uh, Spider-Man, of course, uh, the toys, too, were a big a big influence on me, uh, being able to watch these characters on screen and then, you know, take them home with me from Toys R Us and then, you know, play out what I saw on the shows was really cool. Um, I, I didn't read my first full comic until Secret Wars, the graphic novel. I, I still have it, actually. Um, and just getting to see all these characters who I love in the same comic book together, uh, fighting and and, and everything else was just really uh, cool. And I think that that's the moment where I, I kind of developed my love for comics. But then I, I left them alone for a few years after that. I was about uh, maybe 10 years old. And then I uh, picked them back up with Ultimate Spider-Man uh, a few years later. And uh, I thought that that was incredible. It was cool to see Spider-Man in a different light. Uh, it was a little confusing. Just because I knew Spider-Man to be one way, and here's this version of him that's kind of telling a story that's not the version that I've, I'd always been familiar with. Uh, but I think what really kind of did it for me with comics was uh, Civil War, just because it showed me that comic books could could be relevant socially, that they could comment on things that were happening in the world in a way that makes you think. Uh, and it uses characters who we all love as a lens to address issues that are on all of our minds. And as a 16-year-old kid getting to see Captain America and Iron Man debate about um, 
something that was you know loose a loosely veiled allegory for the patriot act uh was was really really interesting for me and that's when i knew that i needed comic books to be a part of my life you know not just something that i casually invested in but something that uh sort of informed the way that i view the world uh which will sound weird to some but i think that most comic book fans who've been reading them for a while probably feel similarly similarly uh as for what i read today i still read a lot of marvel although they're not lighting me on fire the way they used to um a lot of image stuff uh dc stuff i've been enjoying rebirth so far um anything by rick remender or hickman or fraction or brubaker um you know those those guys who really changed marvel have jumped off and done their own thing and it's just been incredible uh and i think comic books are in a great place right now and i've never been happier to be a fan uh phil you want to chime in yes hello i'm phil (laughs) like logan i go where i want to go Got it at the X-Men okay. 90s cartoon show. That's the theme of this little segment, I guess. <laughs> Can I say, the, uh, the toy I always wanted was the, the 90s Cyclops action figure because every single one of them had the light-up visor. That was just so cool. All right, burning question for you all. A little non-sequitur sidebar. Uh, in the Jim Lee Cyclops costume, what do you think he kept in all those little pouches on his little sash? <laughs> Tic Tacs. They're all Tic Tacs. Yeah, tic-tac. so that after like a long fight when he goes to kiss his lady, they both have fresh breath, you know? Damn. This episode is brought to you by Tic Tacs. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. My first experience of comic books is when I was about six years old. I went to a local comic book shop with my dad and brother, and uh, I saw a figure of Nightcrawler from the 90s cartoon show, even though he was only in like two episodes, and I just thought that design was really dynamic. I think the design... The guy who did the Nightcrawler design was Dave Cockrum. But, uh... Anyway, as a kid, I started reading a bunch of X-Men comic books in the 90s. Which is not the best time to get an X-Men comics, but... Hey, I was a kid. Um... And then I started reading a bunch of other comics, like Peter David's Captain Marvel run. Um... I then got into the, the original Secret Wars, like Sean did. Uh, which is... Like... You get to see all your favorite characters smash into each other in a non-sexual way. Uh, I watched... <laughs> I watched most of the cartoons. Uh, Spider-Man animated series, X-Men, X-Men Evolution, uh, Batman animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Those shows are what got me into DC. Uh, then, yeah, I played most of the video games, like X-Men Legends 1 and 2, and, uh, yeah, all that stuff. Um, Shoutouts to the uh, original Spider-Man game. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the uh, the the PlayStation. Yeah, one? it was on N sixty four as well. But yeah, I played it on the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, that game was amazing. The less lesser known sequel as well. Oh my god! Yeah, um, it was like Revenge of Curse of Electro or something like. Yeah. Ent- Enter, Enter Electro. Electro. Yeah, those games were so literary. cool, man. They they were great because like not only were they like good games, they definitely had a lot of like really good nods to the comics. Like mm-hmm. there was like you could get like the um like all the unlockable costumes and stuff like there was like the amazing Bagman or like when he had the um like Captain Universe costume in the eighties where he could fly yeah. and stuff and like it's crazy you could like unlock full comics even I think and like, that, that, I, it was it was that game that made me start reading Spider Man twenty ninety nine as a kid because I thought that the costume was really cool looking hell yeah 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 
Um, but what keeps me coming back now is, uh, that they're real. Comics are real. People try to trivialize them or justify why they like them sometimes because, like, there's still a stigma around the culture of comic books, but, you know, for me at least, they inform and they're transformative and they make me fucking feel. <laughs> they inspire me to be better and to challenge myself. Uh, some authors I really like are Morrison in particular, uh, Peter David, who I said before, Moore, Gaiman, uh, Milligan, Miller, all the classics, but like guys like Park and Abnett and Lanning and uh, there's a bunch of others. Um, the most definitive... Name, name three more. Why? I just named like six. I need three more. <laughs> okay. Uh, Campbell. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Snyder. Uh, Tom King. He's really good. Good. That's great. Okay. Phil needs to show you all how smart he is. The most definitive Phil book is uh, All-Star Superman by uh, Morrison and Quietly. Uh, the book consistently moves me, uh, inspires me. I've read it probably six or seven times at this point. I have this big absolute edition, um, which, like is on archival paper oh it's dope as fuck uh it's probably the most influential book of my life uh and uh i think it's why superman's my favorite character uh currently i read um uh let's see I i'm still reading animal man by morrison which is really really good um uh i'm also reading his book 18 days which he released a couple years ago or i think this year actually um then I'm also reading Puck's, uh Truth Arc on Action Comics again, which I read last year, but I just bought the collected edition. So, um, this is a few things I'm reading. Um, a few weeks ago, we went to New York Comic Con, a few of us here in this podcast, which is where we got the sponsor for Marco's Chewable uh, Edibles, uh, Animas. Oh boy. And, uh, I bought Invincible on Pete's recommendation, and, uh, I'm looking to start that soon, so. Awesome. Can't wait to Ooh, hear it's real good. on it. Yeah, it's real good. I will convert all of you one at a time to the gospel of Invincible. I want to start. I just I haven't gotten the chance. Speaking of starting, Marco, how about you tell us how you got your start reading comics? Unlike most of you guys, I'm relatively new to the world of comics. I haven't been reading them for that long, maybe like five, six years at most. And I started... Or rather, I got into them because of the movies that started coming out back in the early 2000s, like Spider-Man. I'm like, oh, you know, I saw these characters on the big screen and I wanted to learn more about them and sort of see where they come from, see the source material. And I didn't actually dive into any of like the the Marvel stuff because that was pretty big. I instead went for some of the, like the DC stuff with Batman. So that's when I got... Um, things like The Killing Joke, things like uh, Dark Knight Returns. And I sort of stuck with that whole graphic novel format for a bit. Uh, I would read things like... Um, that, that, that sort of led me to like Watchmen, V for Vendetta. And ultimately through, through Alan Moore, I got to the meat and potatoes of my very essence. Um or the meat and tubers of my very essence, if you guys have read Swamp Thing. No? Nobody? No one got that? All right, that's cool. Moving on. Um, <laughs> you guys are all dead to me. Moving on. <laughs> and um, But, no, through more, I 
that's where I, I really found how impactful comics could be because of Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. I became huge, a huge fan of the character because of how introspective the he was portrayed, how sort of, not brooding, but how very thoughtful and intelligent and how you could sort of analyze situations, the world, uh, more introduced allusions to poetry. He introduced philosophical ideas. Uh, he would argue religion. It was just a really cool way to for me to see that one to be um one that comic books aren't always all superheroes they're all always you know capes and tights and that they could definitely deliver a much larger uh, a more impactful message sort of in the same way that Phil uh sees it that they they're real cuz you know they talk about things that we see in everyday life things that we interact with and things that just are you know what, man? Um, I hate to interrupt because I know it's it's Kale's turn to give us his his history. But um, just you saying that really jogged my mind because um, I'm rereading Scott Pilgrim right mm-hmm. now. I just read books one and two last night um, before going to bed, and um, it's really interesting because I read I read that book for the first time when it was like fairly new. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I saw the movie and like it would only only the first I think four volumes might have been out at that point. Something like um, that, yeah. Just like I read that book when I was like 16 or 17 years old or something like that. And I'm um, reading it again now as like a 23 year old man, which is like the age that Scott is in the book mm-hmm. um, is like really interesting. Cause like you said, that idea of like, that was the first book that I really connected with that wasn't capes and tights. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I, it's so interesting to see how real it makes things that are not real like the iconography of like our age you know like video games and comic books and how those things are like not just our like we've never lived in a world without those things you know and and it's it's interesting i think how we might have like a slightly different perspective on comics than most other generations because like there's so much legacy there for us yeah there's so much legacy and like like phil was saying there's also a lot of uh, like the stigma that's sort of being kind of uh, cleared away, you know. So like now it's getting to the point where it's like it's it's getting cool to to read it and stuff. So it's getting uh, to an extent like okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, in a lot of ways we're seeing like kind of the walls broken down between like high art and low art. Yeah, you know, because like I think that's such a needless distinction. You know, I was like watching this. Uh, video a while ago like we can link to link to in the description by this uh, youtuber named captain christian and he he makes this point in it where like the idea like there's really no such thing as higher art and lower art there's art that speaks to people and art that doesn't yeah and yeah, uh, totally i definitely agree. i think we're kind of like seeing attitudes about low art change a little bit because we're an entire generation that grew up on like low art and sees it for what it is mm-hmm. as opposed to like with a stigma well not necessarily grew up on low art but just grew up on an art medium that is considered low art yeah, low art, low art in quotation. Right, right. exactly. Yeah, quote unquote low art. Because yeah, I would never, you know, try to make that case. It's like I, I sat here and just said how cartoons, video games, and comic books shape me. So yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of shaping, it's time to see how comics shaped Kale. Oh, they didn't. Oh, okay, cool. And so next, uh, next point. <laughs> and next week on comics, pals. <laughs> Uh, no, my uh, my big shaper was uh, Batman the Animated Series. Um, it was uh, it's it's sort of like what was it? I, What's I, your it favorite be... episode? 
So there's the Hardak episodes where Batman fights the like the giant mega computer. Oh yeah, that's where Jim Gordon's like sprawled out like a weird Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then there's also I think and I think I love this one uh because it it sort of has a uh, a base in like the golden age um the gray ghost idea the gray ghost yeah um i have no idea so like that oh man marco i'm telling you uh, this makes sense kale loves the spirit and the gray ghost is basically adam west batman fused with the spirit i like you never watched you never watched bruce tim's batman the animated series no dude Oh, you got to go back oh, and watch man. that, buddy. Okay, that so def- get on for, that. You're gonna for love me, it. that is like the definitive take on Batman. Yeah. So let's let's like stop right here. Uh-huh. I'm gonna stop here. Yeah. Uh, Marco's gonna go watch, mm-hmm. um, and we'll reconvene uh, <laughs> All right. here here in you know just a couple minutes. Yeah, dude, you gotta see that stuff. If there's one episode, you, I think if there's one episode you need to watch, Heart of Ice is a good first episode of Heart of, that yeah, series. Yeah, Heart of Ice is, start is with. like. It's a it's a cliche answer, but that's I think my favorite. That's like I think the best episode that's of that of that whole show. Oh yeah, yeah. It's so well crafted. Yeah. Okay. And it like made Mister Freeze relevant. <laughs> anyway, so Kale. Uh yeah, Batman the animated series uh is it really shaped uh my my taste for uh superheroes and uh I think comics in general and probably to a degree even stuff I want to make um like the you know bruce tim's like sort of neo-noir um stylings of like gotham city and everything are it's the it's the kind of thing it really influenced the kind of thing i want to uh create as like a writer um which is bogus because that means i'll never get to create it (laughs) (laughs) uh i got uh my first comics were uh gambit an issue of iron man and then I think uh, Knuckles from uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. What Fucking up? hipster. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Way, way back. Um, uh, the Knuckles used to be cool. Then he, got, then he got all tall and like, what was it? Some they gave him like Sonic a boom. weird buff chest and everything. Yeah, it's so and, horrific. And he just like, he's like the idiot now or something. He's like, he's like the buffoon. I mean, he was kind of the, always an idiot. Yeah, but now he's like the. I mean, before he was like misguided. Now he's like the strong buffoon kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think Shadow kind of came in and it took over. Stole Thunder Man, Knuckles Roll. Yeah, yeah. My uh, the first comic that uh, really made me stick though it was uh, I uh, I go by trades and so it was Ultimate Spider Man Volume Three uh, by uh, Bendis and uh, uh, Bagley. Uh, it was uh, the first appearance of uh, Doc Ock in the uh, the Ultimate Universe. Um, and I've just, I've never looked back that the ultimate Spider-Man series was where I, I really started like collecting and, um, really just started trying to like craft my own stuff. And, um, it was a huge inspiration. Um, I guess, uh, I would say that the, as a, as a writer, the things that, that have, uh, shaped me the, the most are, uh, identity crisis, uh, Spider-Man blue and, uh, the immortal iron fist. Um, that's a, a love letter to spider-man in the same way uh that all-star superman is to uh superman for sure that's totally true I, that whole color series that jeff Loeb and tim sale did for marvel um daredevil yellow gray hulk, uh, hulk gray all great and like yeah. i only yeah. just like you guys were the ones who told me that was a series i didn't even know that that was like a thing like Captain i always America thought spider-man White. blue was just the only one yeah dog 
yeah, yeah there's think, a new one Captain think, America White I know I, like, I can't wait to go I have to go like check all of them out I still haven't read them but Spider-Man Blue is just so special yeah I think Daredevil Yellow is the first one I, I ever that's my uh, favorite of the found, four but really yeah but my, yeah. mine is a Spider-Man I, I love Spider-Man Blue um, I, like I said I think that whole series is really good and I think that's a really good love letter to Spider-Man but I think Daredevil Yellow is really really good I think Spider-Man Blue's like Spider-Man Blue's a comic that I've used to get people into comics. Like when like what should I read yeah. first? It's like this. Like this is a perfect Spider-Man story. It's simple, it's emotional. The art's yeah, really when, the art's really good. That's a that's a good thing about Jeff Loeb. Jeff Loeb's good books, I guess, is that they are very like good intro. Like a Superman Batman or even Superman for All Seasons or Batman the Long Halloween. These are all like He's really excellent. good at like getting yeah. to the core of a character. You know, and being like these are like these are the beats that you need to know. And he yeah, he does it in like this nostalgic way that works in the moment too that um especially nostalgic but timeless. Yeah, uh, yeah sales yeah. art definitely helps that too though cuz it has that same kind of like pop to it you know like it it reminds me of like a modern take on like silver age like visuals almost you know that like very like bright also rest in peace darwin cook yeah yeah way to bring us down phil yeah goodbye everyone (laughs) (laughs) how many times we gonna how many times we gonna fake end the episode uh we are off to a roaring start um and we're gonna move on to some news uh, we've got a couple of good trailers that came out this week. Uh, Logan and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, let's start off with Logan because I actually just watched it right before the recording of this. Marco did as well. Uh, what a trailer. I mean, I I really I really thought that it kind of... Um, it was the first portrayal of Wolverine that looked in all ways accurate because... In a lot of the films that Wolverine appears in, he's very um, kind of sanitized in the sense that when his claws pop out, he doesn't bleed and he never actually uses his claws to kill people. Or And if he does, he only guts them and we don't see any blood. Uh, this was really violent. I mean, I watched the Red Band trailer, so there's that. But we know that this movie is going to be gory and bloody Rated and all R. that stuff, which is great. Rated R, exactly. Uh, which is something that Hugh Jackman really, really wanted to do. I mean, this is his last hurrah. And I'm so glad that they're giving us a Wolverine movie that's just uh, true to the character. Um, I have a question, though, before we get to other reactions. Is that supposed to be X-23, the kid that he's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Supposed yeah. To, yeah. X, X-23 is a character that's gotten really popular the last, like, four years so it kind of makes sense that she would have a cinematic debut now absolutely and i think i th- i think it's been confirmed that that is her and, and she i think it became a character in 2004 and x2 and 3 were i think 2000 oh boy 2001 and 2004 respectively right i think i think x3 was a bit later 2006 than that, yeah maybe? no x3 was definitely later than that quite a bit okay i'm just doing my best to get them years right <laughs> It was a long time ago. At any rate, uh, so what do you? What did you guys think about the trailer? It it was by far the most emotional I've been about Wolverine, period. Um, and I I really think that's uh, I think that's because it uh, it's going to mark the end of an era. I think, uh, in terms of, in term maybe even in terms of like superhero movies, uh, because like Hugh Jackman, 
I think I can speak for all of us when I say Hugh Jackman is like the essential Wolverine. Um, and until we see something different, um, I think that hole is really going to be felt. It's going to be really interesting to see who they try to replace him with. Yeah. Like, he's been playing that character longer than anyone's ever played, like, any superhero. I, like, really respect his dedication to the character. You know? Like, it's it's really cool to see that he's been playing this character for, like, literally, like, you know, what's what's it been like? The first X-Men movie was, like, 1998, F- right? 15 years, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, fif- like 15 years, we'll say. It seems like he's just as dedicated to it now if not more than like it was when he started you know his body has only gotten bigger it's just cool it's cool to see that he like really seems to have connected with the character in a way that like audiences obviously respond to too you know so yeah you're definitely right kale it's gonna be big shoes to fill i thought he killed it in the wolverine movie that came out like three years ago that movie was solid yeah it was okay yeah but i think he killed it as as an actor yeah yeah it's problems were not him he really has been the anchor of the X-Men uh, franchise, and I, I, I'm not a Wolverine fan. I'm definitely not a fan of what they've done with him in most of these movies, but Hugh Jackman himself and what he's brought to that character has has really been uh, amazing to watch, and I think it's up there with Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr. as Tony yeah, Stark. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. He, he, yeah. Do, he does a really good job of bringing out that like softness of Logan's character, you know, and like making that feel genuine fucking angry grunty short little pissed off canadian lumberjack like he's also (laughs) got a little more depth than that and it's easy for him to fall into that stereotype and i think hugh jackman did a really good job of showing how he connected with the kids and and the school you know what i really liked in the trailer the saint patrick stewart is xavier again that is very exciting performance too yeah Yeah. it's really cool that they're both going to kind of get to see these characters off together one thing that was really special about the x-men franchise which is i feel like not talked about as much anymore but i think you know since you talk about like robert downey jr as iron man or christopher reeve as superman but i think like ian mckellen and patrick stewart as magneto and xavier respectively is equally like perfect no did you uh when when they first approached uh patrick stewart as for xavier they had like the comics on on uh, on the desk, and he walked in and he went, "Why am I in this comic?" <laughs> like, yeah, like that's a real thing. I mean, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think you will fi- ever find someone who portrays either of those characters better than those actors, personally speaking. I love Michael Fassbender as Young Magneto, though. Yeah, yeah. no, like bo- both of them are are doing fine jobs at portraying the characters. I'm sure we'll see other good versions of them, but like those guys are both like titanic actors and they both look the part perfectly you know and it's like and they're like best friends in real life so yeah, it's they like are. and like that oh, plays so like they have unbelievable chemistry so yeah. it's i think yeah. finding two actors that are as talented and as like good together is gonna be probably impossible yeah. and uh i mean before we before we jump off the uh logan train i just want to share a tweet that a couple of us saw and thought was really uh cool which was by a friend of the show dirk manning uh and uh, he said <laughs> he said uh i just like to point out that it's the year 2016 and a movie called logan is coming out and everybody knows it's about wolverine we won <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I retweeted that too. Um, that that is like, it's such a warm feeling for me, and especially to see the idea of like they've talked about doing an old man Logan movie forever, and I was always just like, there's no way, there's no way they'll ever do that. Like old man Logan is so dark, and like there's no way you can do that as a PG thirteen movie and do it justice. Thankfully, they're going to take out some of the bits that are not so savory. But uh, <laughs> have you guys ever read that? Yeah, it's no, like. I it's no. fucked up, man. It's basically like post-apocalypse kind of future. Wolverine's like the last superhero alive, except for Hawkeye, who's an old man and he's blind. And Hulk, who has a bunch of inbred children with She-Hulk because he raped her a whole bunch. Oof. That's the setup. It's Wolverine basically fighting an army of Hulk. Who's Who wrote that? Mark Millar. Naturally. Naturally, it was fucking Mark Millar. <laughs> This is just the teaser trailer, right? We know that they're going to come out with the big one that tells us everything. And, and I really wish – I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would leave it at what we saw because I think what we saw was great. But, uh, you know, these studios, they can't help themselves. Uh, one trailer, though, that was was also really good at kind of keeping things under wraps was the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer. They even said that one was just a teaser. It's like, oh, there's going to be like a full one coming. It's like, why? Like, this is good enough. Like <laughs> – yeah, speaking of impressions of that trailer, that teaser, <clears throat> this is the big, the big one, <clears throat> big impression. Batista, big, very big, <laughs> dude. That was hey, big. so. That exchange between them was just so funny. Like, do you do you need a hug? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I know it was only a teaser and everything, but I just like, meh. They used they used the same song like. With this teaser, it feels like they're trying to recreate some of the stuff that made the first Guardians work. And and I worry my worry for that is that it's gonna it's gonna uh it's gonna hurt the movie. Is uh James James Gunn still working on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think we have too much to worry about then. I, I do think that like cause this is a teaser, like they said, like maybe they were they were trying to kind of like call back yeah. to the first movie and like the next one we see will be more substantial. Because, like, all this really did was, like, show us all the characters from the first movie and be like, they're all together. Yondu's with them now, and so is what's-her-name. That's his name, Yondu. I didn't like the part where um, they played Bohemian Rhapsody, and Jared Leto's Joker was there, and it just didn't really seem to fit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like the, the very end of the trailer, where, like, it ended, and then there's a gunshot, and you see Rocket Raccoon and Groot in the back. It's like, oh, uh, it's like, all right, we get it. They're like your big stars. Okay. Well, I think, I think <laughs> Marco hates Rocket and Groot. Got it. I, I no, it's just like there's such a big focus on them, like to drive. Rocket the is the movie. best character in the Marvel universe, and I will fight all four of you for that. Swamp Thing's the best character in the Marvel universe. Uh, oh, so you mean Man Thing? No, Swamp Thing. I think he means Gerber's Man Thing. No, he's gonna he's gonna teleport to the universe and destroy everybody. You guys, Swamp Thing was totally in the Marvel universe in the nineties when they did a Malcolm comic. Stick with it. Come on. Boom. Obviously, you guys read. I thought you guys read comics. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely am with you, Kale. Where it's like this didn't really show us much, but like, I don't know. I kind of like that, like especially for a sequel, where it's like I don't really need to know the plot of Guardians going into it. Like, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy. I like the characters. Like, this would really be enough for me if it was just like, hey, like they did, like they gave us the date. It comes out in the summer. Fine. 
I really don't need to see anything else. I'm going to go see it. I like the first one. It's like, like literally the whole setup of like the band's getting back together and going to go on another adventure. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Strap me and, in, and boys. Also, also, right, it was, it, it's, it's definitely a teaser trailer. So I, I prefer them to be this way. I like that it just kind of establishes, okay, we're here again. You know, we're going to have fun. This is going to be a fun movie, just like the first one. And it's kind of like if you like these characters, you know what to expect. Uh, so I'm really excited for it. Yes, the trailer doesn't really give us much, but it looks cool. It's James Gunn. It's Chris Pratt. It's 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 everything we loved about the first one, and I'm sure it's going to be bigger and better and better. But you're right in the sense that there's not a ton to react to because nothing really happens. I just definitely hope we don't find ourselves in an Avengers 2 situation with this Ooh. movie where it's like what Kale said, where it's like kind of content to rest on its laurels. Because like Avengers 2 is fine, but it's, I think, the most needless of any of the Marvel movies it was a hard letdown for me. You yeah. won't find any strings on us. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just like that movie is like I wasn't upset to have seen it, but I don't really feel the need to ever watch it again because anytime I get the itch yeah. to watch Avengers, I just watch Avengers because Avengers is a phenomenal film. So any other quick comments on Guardians before we move along? No, I want to see it. I'm excited to see the movie. I don't really need any more than we got, but I'm sure we will we will get it. <laughs> the next one, Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange baby. I I actually had the pleasure of attending a uh, sneak preview, a 15 minute uh, sneak peek at Doctor Strange, uh, about a week ago, and it was really incredible. Right? Why did, why is this the first we're hearing about this? <laughs> well, I, I, like, I wanted to save it for the podcast to get that reaction. Um, Damn, I can't, I I can't get you guys to quit blowing up my phone and my watch, and this is the first I'm hearing about it. <laughs> uh, it it was phenomenal. I really, I really have to say, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has become Doctor Strange. He's become that character in a lot of ways. There's a there's a scene in particular where he's in a car. And his, he's talking to the car, very uh, Tony Stark-esque in a way. Um, and the car is telling him who, what, where he might be needed for surgery. And he's picking and choosing who he wants to save, whose life he wants to save. And there's one in particular where I believe it's, a, it's an older lady who's dying of some sort of cancer. And, he's, and he says, uh, he says, uh, I don't want to break my perfect record next. And it, 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 yeah. Right. Um, so I feel that they're really hitting exactly right with who that character was before he gains the powers and before he becomes a superhero. So you get, you get that introductory stuff with that sequence I just explained, and then it moves forward and you see his training. And you see the different, well, slight spoilers, but you see the different kind of dimensions he goes to and the different amazing things he witnesses. And this is a movie you absolutely want to see in 3D. And Wait, so you're telling me that Doctor Strange goes to another dimension? Yes. Yes, I am. Spoilers, John. Yes, I am <laughs> telling you he goes to another dimension and I am telling you that this movie is going to redefine the marvel universe i truly believe that because it's opening so many doors uh the action it's kind of the last one this is the last thing that they haven't really integrated yeah. you know is magic yeah 
Yeah. The the yeah. action is top notch, second to none. Um, it's trippy, it's mind bendy. This is absolutely the Matrix and Inception kind of mashed together, but not in a way that feels like a ripoff. It really feels like something special and unique. And I'm really excited for everybody to get to see the whole thing. Did it like feel magic-y enough? Yes, uh, for me, cool. for me. And that was my big concern is like, as much as I didn't really like care for most of what Suicide Squad was doing, I thought like its visual representation of magic was like fairly good. I mean, like not like I, the whole like big thing in the sky was like fucking retarded. But like, just like, I mean, like kind of the way that they sh- portrayed um, Enchantress, like visually right. and stuff like that, like worked for me pretty well. I I just don't want to see them like, I thought that it's not that I didn't like Thor, but I thought that a lot of the Asgardian stuff looked a little too futuristic and alien. Yeah, like sci-fi. Yeah, like, like you know, like steampunk kind of aesthetic, but still sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And like, I, that was kind of my concern with Strange is like, is the magic going to be magic-y enough like is he going to be the sorcerer supreme i know and love so i felt with thor that they were tame i think it was early on in the marvel universe and they were really afraid of taking it too far with with doctor strange i really think at least from what i saw that marvel has decided look we run shit uh everybody loves what we put out we're gonna go all the way and see how people react like it doesn't even really matter if this doesn't do well yeah <laughs> too bad they couldn't do that with ant-man uh man i really loved ant-man i did too i, I thought st- i thought they did I still haven't seen it what what, what i meant was i wish edgar wright could could have stayed on yeah, i agree that's what i meant yeah I, so i think ant-man is my favorite marvel movie next to the last two captain america ones I it definitely oh is boy. All right. it's a high it's high ranking for me too like um I remember especially coming off Avengers 2 that movie was like a fucking breath of fresh air Paul Rudd's amazing that's all I gotta say yeah no Paul Rudd is awesome I like I truly love him and I love the fact that they like are taking gambles on comedic actors and like making them leading men in Hollywood like fucking him yeah. and, him and yeah. um Chris Pratt you know like two very just great funny actors that they're you know turning into action heroes and i think that's that works right like that's that's superheroes so definitely and i love that marvel finds ways to add that layer to their formula you know because we all know that there is definitely a marvel formula but at least kind of pulling from other sort of stories uh it keeps it fresh on some level. Yeah, dude, I totally agree. I think um, it seems like they're learning. I know specifically my biggest problem with the Marvel camp is that like the ending of most of their big movies is almost identical. You know, it's a build up to a giant fight over a city and a big thing's going to fall and whatever, you know, or like or the solo movies all come down to a generally similar format too, of being like, here's this character that's like me, but not. They've actually addressed that uh, recently, actually. Uh, Kevin Feige was interviewed and uh, he was asked that question about why is it that the villains are always so similar to the heroes? And he was saying that when it comes to these kinds of movies where they're introducing whole entire worlds or different schools of of, of power sets, uh, just that can be complex enough. But then you're also introducing the character themselves and so 
having to introduce a villain alongside all of that in about two hours could be jarring. I think that was why like Avengers worked so well with Loki, you know, because like you already kind of had a relationship to Loki right. and everybody loved Tom Hiddleston. So it's kind of like, okay, we know this bad guy. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if that's why they're kind of like spreading the seeds of like Thanos. Yeah. You know, it's because Thanos is so huge and we are just kind of getting little granules as we go. I think the most we've seen so far is from the last Guardians. So when it comes to Doctor Strange, uh, there's there's actually been a lot of controversy surrounding that film and that character because a lot of people feel that Doctor Strange uh, was a perfect opportunity to introduce a uh, an Asian uh, lead in a, in a Marvel film. I mean, Marvel movies are are you know it's hard to argue that that they're not notoriously absent of uh, Asian characters and some people say it would have been a, a great chance to kind of get that ball rolling um, and of course the Ancient One controversy Marvel having cast Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One instead of an Asian character um, what do you guys think about that? Do you guys feel that that's uh, that Marvel's receiving warranted flack there? What do you, what do you think? Um, so I, I will start by saying I definitely think the flack is warranted, uh, specifically because not only do they not have an Asian leading man, they consistently portray Asians as villains. Yeah, especially in the Netflix series. Yeah, like, you know, like the hand is kind of like the main looming force in the, de- the like Marvel Netflix universe, at least for Daredevil. And uh, it's a lot of like, let's fight these other you know people who like use karate and you know like there's ninjas and shit and it's like kind of ridiculous um and like i get it that's comics that's part of daredevil's mythos no problem if there's an asian superhero who's like a normal asian american person that we see in a good light you know or even or even just asian people like in daredevil i mostly all we see uh for like asian representation are they're villains villains yeah or sort of or like hapless like victims of superior asian i don't i don't know what i'm trying to say here there you know like the the blind people in the first season oh right right yeah i hear what you're saying it's like you don't see any people who are like asian that are portrayed as being like normal people who are like decent or like in control of their own life or anything like that like it's either abusers or victims yeah or a stereotype like madame gal yeah, exactly. Where it's like she's not necessarily portrayed as like evil, but it's like, oh, she's the wise Asian woman, you know? And it's like, okay, it's like a little, you know, it's it's it would be a, it would be a lot less like glaring if we had like an Amadeus Cho or somebody as like a leading character somewhere. Back when Star Trek came out, the original series. Um, now this is fifty years ago. Uh, Roddenberry wanted. George Takei's character to be very adept with a sword, which is an Asian stereotype. And George Takei was really resistant to that idea because I don't want to be a stereotype. But to like compromise, he's like, I'll you I'll be I'll be good at fencing, which is a European art form. So Sulu uh fences. But this is fifty years later and we're still dealing with the same issues in pop Hold culture. Hold on, do you do you know the rest of that story? Please go on, Kale. So he went out, he went, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll learn fencing, or I'll, I'll do fencing, no big deal. And he 
like panicked and immediately went and got fencing lessons like yeah 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 but the point is that 50 years later uh asian actors are dealing with the same kind of roles and uh being typecast in the same kind of thing yeah and um i think uh not to mention the fact that like there's been kind of a lot of issues like that in hollywood lately like the whole um what was it not aeon flux um Help me out. The anime that's being adapted with Scarlett Johansson. Ghost in the Shell. Thank you. Um, with Scarlett Johansson oh, as the lead yeah. role that obviously should have went to a Japanese yeah. actress. Um, these are definitely like... I understand the uh, the backlash that Marvel's getting for sure. Um, that being said, to answer your other question, I do kind of think Doctor Strange might have been a good opportunity for them to introduce uh, a, a more prominent Asian-American lead because... The reality of the situation is there really aren't any Asian superheroes in the Marvel Universe that are, like, super prominent that don't have some level of stereotype to them. Like, there are only a few. And um, and a problem with some of them even is, like, like a character like Silk, who's really cool, is, like, a Spider-Man clone. So it's, like, you don't really want that either, necessarily. Um, whereas, like, Doctor Strange is a major player. He's an Avenger. He's in the Illuminati. He's a Defender, you know, or, like, he, he's a big deal. And... I think um, I think there's a really interesting narrative there for making Doctor Strange an Asian American man who's exactly the you know exactly the same otherwise um, that is this like jerky surgeon who's totally wrapped up in this like materialistic Western world um, and kind of reconnects with like Eastern culture and like this idea of mysticism when he finds out that there's something to it. I, I think there's like, there's an interesting kind of narrative there about um, reconnecting with like your cultural roots or something like that, as opposed to it being another story of like a white person co-opting someone else's culture. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, and we talked about this in the last episode a bit with Iron Fist. Like, I think, you know, the reason Doctor Strange would work a little bit better with uh, than Iron Fist is because Iron Fist's story is all about appropriation. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like re- and, reverence for another culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and while it it might be okay to see you know like an Asian actor as Iron Fist, it, it like you said, it would be another case of like a, a an Asian stereotype, you know, an Asian superhero knew, who knows Kung Fu. Right. Magic Karate uh, Master Man. You know, it's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> but but for Doctor Strange, it, 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 I think it would feel like less blatant, you know, if if, if an Asian character, you know, if, if Stephen Strange was, you know, of an Asian descent and he went home and like learned his family's like mystical roots or whatever um and 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 they sort of based it a little bit more in that uh, sort of uh, representational way yeah and i think something that you've brought up in the past too in that same vein is that like a lot of people kind of make the case that in earlier earlier incarnations like dr strange kind of looks asian and it's like it was only over time that he kind of adopted a more like uh (laughs) <laughs> like almost like Freddie Mercury kind of vibe. Ca- ca- Caucasian, yeah. Yeah. With like sweet mutton chops and a porn stash. That said, I would I, I would watch that Doctor Strange movie. Oh my god, Eddie yeah. Uh, oh my god, yeah. I, I mean I fall I fall on the other end in the sense that while the idea that you guys are presenting is really cool, and if that were if that were his original origin, I think that would be awesome. 
Uh, I want to see the characters portrayed on screen as they are in the comics, down to the the sort of race and culture that they come from. I don't think it matters as much when you're talking about very ancillary characters. Uh, for example, making Heimdall black and Thor. You know, that's really not relevant to anything at all in the in that universe, right? But uh, for Doctor Strange, him him being a white privileged male is relevant to his character because he becomes humbled. You know, uh, that that's a, that's an important piece of his story. Uh, but but that being said, though, even if it wasn't an important piece of his story, I would still want to see him exactly the way he is in the comics. But that's just that's just me. That's that's my preference. I'm kind of a a purist in that sense. Hi, you said Heimdall. He's black in the movie, but he's not in the comics. No, yeah, none of the Asgardians are, I think, portrayed as anything but white ever in the comics. No, there's there is an Asian one. Oh right, I forgot one of Thor's boys is Asian. I, I was gonna say though that um, I didn't know that, and so moving forward, had. I seen Heimdall represented as uh, as white. I would have been surprised because my experience, my first experience uh, was of him being black. So I would probably say that had they actually led Stephen uh, Stephen Strange being Asian, it might have brought younger viewers or people who aren't familiar with those characters to sort of grow up with that with that identity of Stephen Strange. Yeah, I agree there. And I think, like, they did a, a reboot of the universe not too long ago. So it's like they could have made some explanation for why Stephen Strange is Asian. Maybe he's half Asian. You know, it's like there's, like, a way to make that just be like, hey, yeah, we rebooted everything, so. That that gets into a weird sort of zone where it's like a character goes into a machine and comes out another race. Uh, I, I, I mean, per- personally, that, that would bother me far more than anything else they could do to introduce uh, more diversity in the Marvel Universe. Because these characters have been established for X amount of years, and it gets silly. For example, the the Nick Fury being a white guy for ever, and then because the, the film version of Nick Fury is black and everyone loves that, uh, they came up with a super flimsy way to introduce black Nick Fury into the comics. Nick Fury's illegitimate son. Yeah, his illegitimate son who's bald and lost his eye, the same exact eye that Nick Fury lost. It's just just very uh, silly, and I don't want to see them go down that road just to appease people. But see, I think it only affects people who have that legacy. Rather, I I think it only affects people who know of that legacy people moving mm. forward mm-hmm. like, like like you're thinking of people who only want to see things in the past people who don't know and th- from from that point on they're like dude nick fury's nick fury's black and somebody can see that and identify with it but then when they learn that oh he was originally white and they made this whole silly thing to sort of legitimize that had they just totally ignored that and just gone like no he's always been like that moving forward people would would i for for instance would have never known right and i would have always just assumed like wow he's like the leader of an organization he's a really uh important and influential character and that's awesome so i the only people that i feel that are actually affected by uh things like that are people who 
know the character and who might be resistant because they want to see that. No offense, Sean, but that's the way they want to see it. I disagree because if if you don't know the fact that he was white at some point in the past, when you learn that information, that's going to be jarring. And for them to act as if he was always black is strange and it's completely dismissive of the character's entire history. So why should they do that just to appease uh, a, a fan base who is new to the character? Why, why should they ignore his entire history just so that people can think he was always black? But also in that same thing, like we just said that, you know, Strange was originally drawn as like an Asian person and they gradually made him white. Like that's the same thing you're, you're, you're saying. Uh, no, it's not. I have an example I think might be, might be pertinent. Um, it better be. Psylocke. <laughs> Psylocke was originally portrayed as a white British woman and has since been, she was changed into being, I, I don't know if she's Japanese, but she's Asian. And that's like the the way the character has been portrayed since then and is remembered. And she's like an icon for being a, you know, a, a non-white X-Man who's like very popular. I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering if it's because Psylocke was a less significant character in the confines of X-Men comics at the time. That's probably the truth. And I, I wouldn't argue that, but I don't, I'm inclined to agree with Marco to a certain degree where I think like, I don't think that's necessarily like saying that the history of that character doesn't matter or anything like that. But it's like, those books still exist. If you want to go read the 50 years of publication history where Stephen Strange is another white dude, that's fine. But if they made the decision, like, Stephen Strange is Asian and, like, just did that when they rebooted the universe, I'm inclined to agree with Marco, where I think, like, it wouldn't only appease new fans. A lot of older Asian fans would probably be like, cool. Like, it's great to see, like, a mainline Avenger, you know, a, a really important, one of the most important people in the Marvel Universe is Asian-American legacy characters would it be okay to have an asian character become the new sorcerer supreme and replace dr strange like is that okay for you sean sure and of course i tie this together with you know my uh miles spider-man and uh wally west right black wally west who was also racially changed i think like i think that that's an organic way to bring about diversity in comics to me it's extremely inorganic to just say, all right, well, this guy just just, just is now just black or now Asian. That's just what it is now. Because Well, it's not that he's now black. It's like, yeah, for me, I think it's you're like, getting too focused on that idea of like the machine that you keep bringing up. Like for me, it's like, oh, he's always been black because that's how I first saw him represented. So for me, not having that history, me thinking and going back and reading, like he's like, oh, he's white. That's weird. Why isn't he black? I've always known him to be to be black yeah or, or like the same way with um with green lantern right john stewart i always thought that that uh green lantern was was black until i actually went back and like read i'm like oh wait he's he's not that's weird and to me i i my ideal uh green lantern is john stewart because one i grew up with him like that and uh two he's for me that is the legacy not the white uh, Green now you got me wondering because I think Green Lantern's an interesting context because there's a whole generation of people who definitely grew up with John Stewart as their primary Green Lantern, which is very mm-hmm. antithetical to the, like the broader community that will generally think of Hal Jordan as their Green Lantern. Now, there's plenty of people who think of Kyle Rayner as a Green Lantern too, but it makes me wonder if, say, Spider-Man Peter Parker did disappear for ten years or something, 
or even five years and Miles became the prominent Spider-Man would he become I thought this was Spider-Man for a generation of people absolutely I think so well and I kind of think that's what we're seeing happening with uh, Miles and with Peter still around Uh, you know Miles has the Spider-Man title he's not Miles Morales Spider-Man he's not you know Peter's got the amazing Spider-Man um I think I think there's there's really been a move to to really imprint on on people that Miles is Spider-Man one way or the other. Yeah, I would agree there. And to to the point that Sean made earlier, I actually think characters like that are more damaging to a character's history or legacy than uh, having them grow and change with the times is because I think like the danger of a character like John Stewart coming out and being more compelling to our generation or, or being the person we identify with as Green Lantern is like, I have no fucking connection to Hal Jordan as a character at all. Like, I'm not excited by him. I, I'm not interested in him. I'm with Marco. John Stewart is my Green Lantern. God damn it. Just read uh, Green Lantern Rebirth and Sinestro Corps, Pete. Read some DC. Uh, no, man. Fuck that. <laughs> Noob. Um, but yeah. Sorry. So, like, that's, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you there, man, where, like, I think, like, making Stephen Strange become Asian and survive as a character in terms of, like, his personality and his arc and all those things is more important to me as someone who appreciates the history of that character than it is to have him be replaced by someone else because we want to see new new characters that are diverse. That said, can I just talk about how weird it is that there's a, a black wally west and a white wally west at the same time it's weird it like like it feels like a backwards step like i really like that you know that they you know in the new 52 they they made the effort to make uh kid flash black but then once rebirth happened they brought back the old wally West. there were so many fucking people screaming for that wally west though for sure but it doesn't make sense. You're talking about DC, though. Like that's that's what they do. <laughs> they don't no. make sense. That's what they do. <laughs> All right, I'll can I'll concede that um, one. I was gonna say this is that I, I mean, I, I understand the cyclical nature of comic books. Like if you read New X Men or Grant Morrison's uh, Batman run, the basic net thesis is that everything returns to status quo. Like, for Batman, you'll always be fighting these guys. This is a never-ending battle for real. But, that said, I really like it when comics evolve. And I think you're kind of seeing that with uh, Marvel a little bit right now, even though the sales aren't great. And you were seeing it in DCU and stuff. But, like, with Batman, for instance, I loved it when Dick Grayson took up the cowl and Damien was Robin. I, I like things that are evolutionary. And if you start diversifying comics through you know moving the timeline ahead i have absolutely no qualms with that but unfortunately just because of how iconic certain ips are within a failing industry it's always gonna return to the status quo like superman is a good example i mean so many people complained about new 52 superman that they brought back the super dad basically but super super dad's working really well and it's selling yeah because it's comic i mean unfortunately it seems like there's a, a core base of readers and they really want to pull in new readers, but people don't stick around, it seems like. It seems like you just got this core net base, and that that's the demographic you have to appeal to if you want sales. That's the way it seems, unfortunately. I think it's because the companies themselves 
are not actively trying to market to those other demographics they they're still like you said they're still aiming for that one demographic that's like i want the white wally west right let's say and but if they actually put the f like the effort to market towards different demographics if they expand their 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 base they'd be able to actually make those books more successful because they're not just aiming at that one that one demographic and just hoping that some kind That's of all they do though within that demographic. I, I, yeah. think I, I feel like they're tr- yeah i think they're trying the to but it's was not that. working for whatever marvel reason now is that every year now marvel reboots their line expressly to draw in new readers who are intimidated by big numbers that's literally their marketing strategy but you know what like i was gonna i want to support you real quick marco i definitely think that like there's there's validity to what marco's bringing up though because like we as comic readers like comics are a very insular kind of like community like let's be real it's it's a niche Mm -hmm. hobby so if you read comics you know about comics but like the average person who goes and sees the three or four marvel movies that come out every year or whatever doesn't know what books are on the shelf and doesn't know that there are new books coming out and trying to be marketed to them because they're not marketed to them. They're marketed to us. Like you, like if like what Marco's talking about, if they really were trying to do that, you would see ads for comic books before movies, you know, like it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit down and watch civil war, go buy civil war two. It's on shelves right now, but they don't do that because they really are not pushing the books. And that might not be Marvel's fault, but like it does speak to what Marco's saying. I think. This is a known fact. When these movies come out, there's a slight bump in sales for the character in question, and then they jump right back down. People don't keep going to the to the comic book sure. stores. They don't keep downloading the books. That's just the way it is, and it's been that way for a long time. Yeah, there's a myriad of theories behind it. Maybe it's the monthly format because it just keep like that that style of releasing content doesn't keep new readers engaged because you know there's a new mm-hmm. interest to come along to grab a reader or something but i mean just for marvel and dc and images sake they want new readers because they need to improve sales because they're not what they were 20 years ago and so like they consistently try to do things to increase readership bases and like sean said it's always just a temporary increase but kale you've been trying to get a word in edgewise so what were you gonna say <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> oh, uh, I had I been able to say this, it, it's a little irrelevant now, but I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, say it, and and get the shout out out. Uh, back when Pete was talking about, um, you know, they um they don't run ads for comics during movies. Friend of the show, Arlen Schumer, uh, has this great big uh, diet diatribe about how. Uh, you know they should be selling comics in the movie theaters you know you're gonna show a comic yeah. book movie why aren't there stands yep in the hallway or better yet to, uh, why don't the they theater? give you a comic when you buy the ticket yeah like remember yeah. like when you went to go see the pokemon movies as a kid and they gave you a fucking pokemon card and then if you didn't buy pokemon cards you probably went and bought some fucking all pokemon of those cards. ideas are fine but the reality is that people just don't independently then go forward and continue to read comics if 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 what happens is the movie comes out they go to midtown because they're excited or whatever the local comic book store is they're excited they buy the new doctor strange trade and then they never read anything doctor strange again what is marvel supposed to do they're supposed to remarket the person's just not into it 
role in all that fucking money like it's 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 not just a comic book industry problem either this is happening across the board people are buying books less often people don't read as often people don't really watch television as often television ratings are constantly dropping games aren't being bought as much on 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 platforms other than uh mobile platforms it's, it's this is just happening across the board of entertainment and comic books which are already a niche uh industry like pete had said they're feeling it the most yeah of course, they got that sweet, sweet Disney and Warner Brothers movie money, and that's where they're they're trying. That's where all the attention goes, anyway. It's the synergy of trying to make comic books more like movies, anyway. I think that's kind of the sad thing, though. Is like I think I don't remember who you we were talking about. It's a friend of the show who made this point about how um, maybe no, I think it's somebody that you talked to. Though. Oh, it was it was when you interviewed. Um, you'll you'll fill it in for me. Oh, Yannick Picot. Yes, thank you, Yannick. Um, about the idea that like comics are too often treated as like um, proto films is the word he used. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like a springboard for an IP as opposed to like selling a comic. Um, and like, I don't know, man. I definitely think that they're the industry needs to evolve because like the way we've been doing things historically is um, it's great for people like us who support the industry and who love comics, but it's certainly not gaining them new readership. 80 years ago when you had Will Eisner doing the spirit and making it very like Orson Welles, um, Sis and Kane, it was like groundbreaking for comic books because at the time art wasn't great in comics because you had stuff like Siegel and Schuster's Superman or Kane and Fingers Batman. I mean, it was, it was early comics, right? But, you know, moving later, Comics got to a point where they really had a funk in the 80s, and you got guys like Gaiman, Morrison, Moore, who came along and really did some transformative stuff. Um, and they made it so that it was very difficult to make a book that would be adapted into any kind of filmable content, which is, I mean, a big criticism of the Watchmen movie is that it, it doesn't do justice to the book because, I mean, Moore wrote it to be basically the the most ancillary comic book and not really adaptable. Um, nowadays, however, you see writers really writing books as like a form of screenplay to be adapted into a TV show, into a miniseries or a movie. Like a big person who does that is Mark Millar. A lot of the books he writes now are like clearly scripts to be adapted. Um, and that's kind of to the point of what Yannick Paquette is making is that these books are, they've got a linear narrative. They've got a a three act structure. There's a, a, they're kind of creatively, you know, as, as of course this is mainstream books, not so much. Uh, maybe you're more indie stuff, but mainstream books, they don't take as many risks anymore from a creative standpoint. And that's something that I think that not only should the writers and artists do, like like doing the actual creatives, I think that the companies themselves should actually take the risk to um, just like to market to other people. Because for, for, like, like for me, the only reason that I decided to, to pick up comics was, again, because of the movies, right? But other than that, you know, Marco, you're talking me, about the movies, but it's a similar problem with the movies. I mean, this was to Kale's point earlier. Well, no, no, wait. Well, I, I was, I was gonna say, culturally, for me, comics are bad. They're they're naughty. They are something that rot the mind. Yeah. They are not to be read because interesting. So with, I think that the big thing is to dispel that stigma and then market to those other demographics, to those other people who don't know that they're okay they don't know that they are literature they don't know that they're art i feel like that falls into the realm of a lot of the things that have been said here where it's like it's easy to say that in and and theorize 
but what are you actually asking for? Like in practice, what could Marvel and DC actually do to bring comics to a people who think that they're for kids, who think that they rot the mind, or who think that they're not for them? How do you get fans or how do you get people who are not necessarily fans to go from the movie theater to the comic book shop and become lifelong fans of the comics? This is a, a stigma that's lasted for 70 years when Wordham did Seduction of the Innocent. That's, that shit is still permeating in popular culture. Absolutely. That's changing, though, for sure. It's changing. And I think that, honestly, if they want to attract those readers, the inversion of the money that they get going towards the movies should be reallocated towards the actual companies themselves, like the actual book companies oh, themselves. Oh, man, Disney would never they, do they that. Could, right, That's and that's the thing. They they wouldn't because what for them, the bottom line is more important than... like like, like Think of it this way. If they actually put the, the time, money, and effort into actually trying to gain a larger fan base, they'd, get, they'd gain a larger fan base for the movies as well because you'd have one more readers, more people to relate to the movies, and then eventually more viewers for those movies. So had, if they were to invert more money into that for that, that core where the actual source material comes from, it'll help them build their, their movies, which they think currently are more profitable. You know, they are more profitable. You know, man, like that's the thing, though, is that even the film industry takes very little risks because this is what I was going to say before, but to Kale's point, getting rid of Edgar Wright because he had these ideas for Ant-Man that Marvel said this doesn't really this isn't synergized with our collective film universe. Uh, it's about making the lowest common denominator product that will have the most mass appeal. And when you talk mm-hmm. about trying to take something and allocating yeah. it to like the, 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 the comic book industry, like relocating money to, to Marvel or DC from Warner brothers and, or, or Disney, that that's a risk. Cause then you have to print a lot of money that might get wasted. And that's not what it's about. It's about taking the fewest amount of risk and maximizing the most profit. Especially in an industry that is already struggling. Yeah. And already operates on like razor thin margins. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say though, this is like something I I definitely would like to probably talk about at greater length on another episode. But I honestly think that to answer your question, Sean, what I want them to do is I want to see the industry evolve. I want to see comics not necessarily take like more creative risks, but take more um, business risks. I think that like there are a lot more avenues for revenue for comics that have not been adequately explored. Like the fact What's an example for you? Uh, for me specifically, I would say like I think the most glaring thing is that like digital comics don't work. Digital comics should be much better. They should be more accessible. They should be less expensive. Um to to try to get that mass audience. Maybe like the idea of like we've all talked about how nice it would be to have like you know, a Netflix style subscription service, whatever the, you know, even if it was like a hundred dollars a year or something like that, I do think there are a substantial number of readers that would probably buy into a service like that. But I will say before the other thing that's more important to me would be like you said, maybe moving away from the monthly release schedule. Like maybe it is the idea that like it is too expensive to create a high quality comic once a month and expect people to continue to buy that product because we've all seen number one in a series does exceptionally well. Number two does a little bit worse. Number three does a little bit worse. If it was instead, Hey, here's one book. That's like a cohesive Batman story. Like we've seen with books like year one or long Halloween or any of those kinds of things. Maybe that's just the model that we need to learn to adopt because maybe emphasize the trade model. Yeah. Cause it's a book. Yeah. I mean, that's how, that's how manga works. Exactly. It's exactly how. Because look at look at today's 
consuming culture wants to binge yeah. everything. You see it with Netflix. It's changed the way people yeah. consume television. Right. And that's why I think that there's something salient about your point about that singles don't really work. It's because like even as someone who buys singles, I don't always read them when I buy them. Sometimes I wait until I have two or three to read so that it's not me sitting and reading one issue for 20 minutes and then being like, fuck. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think yourself. what you guys are suggesting would probably destroy the industry because you got to think yeah. like there are a lot of reasons, but one of them is money. When I go to the store, I buy a bunch of books yep. and then they're like, hey, this is $40. And I'm like, that's expensive. But I bought a bunch of books and I feel good about that. If I went to the same store and I had to buy trades that were $15 a piece, I wouldn't want to, to buy four or five trades. I would have to be a lot more selective about what I purchase. And a lot of people can't afford to go to the store and make one blanket purchase of 20 bucks. And that's just one book. A lot of people just can't do it. That hurts artists and writers who make a living off this. And the other thing is when we talk about putting more of an emphasis on digital comics, that hurts the brick and mortar. A lot of stores. That's the thing, though, is like brick and mortar stores are like are going to die. But I think we need to realize that it's like the industry is is flailing right now. And like maybe brick and mortar and things like that are things that we need to learn to let go if we want to see the medium well, but there are fans you would lose there as well. Like, I would stop reading comics if there were no if comic book stores. I can tell you that for sure. You really think you would stop I reading comics if there weren't comic book stores? Comics. I really do. I can't stand them. I'm not saying I'm not saying only oh, digital oh, though. Okay. Like, what if like you get a book? You know, it's like like it's like 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 put it this way, right? Like, what if it was instead of there being a comic book store you go to, you go to Marvel.com and they're like, here's all the books we're putting out this month, and you just pick them that way you know or you go to amazon or whatever and it's like i'm not like well, disagreeing with you that way. i love because comic book stores i don't want to see them it. go yeah that, that's more it's more expensive to, to do it like to actually actually um sell it straight from the the source it's always easier through a distribution platform and that's why brick and mortar stores are usually there to mitigate one, costs one thing i've heard people pause it before back 50 years ago when general stores were a thing that's where people bought their comic books and if they could find a grocery store, yeah, well, that's what I was getting to. If yeah. you could put comic books in the checkout aisle with the magazines. But I think, I think that, I think what you guys are assuming is that there's this group of people out there who are just dying to read comics. If Marvel presents them, Marvel, DC, whoever presents them in a very specific way that will appeal to those people, I'm arguing that 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 audience is not it is not in existence. And if you try to reach that audience by doing something drastic, you're just going to kill it because the people who are already standing by you won't stand by you anymore. Well, that's why Rebirth happened, basically. Exactly. And I think that that speaks to the point that you and I are making. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I again, like, I'm not totally disagreeing with any of your points. I'm just like more, I think like Marco and I are just like making the case to be devil's advocates that like, there's obviously a shakeup that needs to happen. I'm not trying to be devil's advocate. I'm like very sincere about the possibility of being able to like just remarket using new avenues, cheaper avenues and through what they do now. They do. They, I mean, the only that I definitely agree with. Like the only advertisements I see for comic books are in comics books themselves. One, that's silly. Two, you're not reaching anybody. You're only reaching the demographic you already have. They're not actively trying to. And digital people, digital is like, cheaper. Um, and social like on media. websites like yeah, social media and like YouTube ads or something. Yeah, I think yeah though. YouTube ads on comic content 
you know yeah, like definitely you have or, or I mean, like yeah, on the podcast sidebars stuff. yeah podcasts or like even um you have to, i mean like yeah like you have to go to like communities that already like like the kind of stuff that you're talking about but like not like to marco's point you don't market comics to people that already buy comics you market right it to people it's that a waste of money right. uh, yeah po- podcast ads are really good right now i'm looking at the ads revenue for marco's uh chewable animas and they're skyrocketing <laughs> just from this episode alone <laughs> i think that the best advertisement for comic books are the movies because you're getting to see these characters in probably the greatest way they could be portrayed. And for a lot of people, I would argue that it's really jarring to go from seeing them in full motion and as beautiful as those movies are to seeing them in still pictures in comics. It's really weird that they don't advertise comics before the movie, though. I agree. I See, like, Sean, I don't, even, I don't even know if I agree that that's the problem, though, because, like, I think, like, you look at, like, Walking Dead and, like, Walking Dead's a really good example of, like, there can be crossover appeal for something like that, where it's like, I watch this show, I really like this show, I'm gonna go read the book that it's based on because I or want Or Harry more. Potter and Game of Thrones, or, like, people read actual books. Yeah, Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with what you're saying there, Phil. And I think the issue is more that, like, I think that comics, like at least legacy comics, right? The big two are stuck in this terrible rock and hard place where you have this backbone of readers like us who a, a very sizable percentage don't want don't want to see anything change, want everything to be exactly the same as it's always been. And that's, you know, where they want things to kind of sit. And then you have this other side where people are like complaining that they want new things and they want the industry to grow and da 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 but you kind of can't have it both ways. But, like, what's nice about, like, a book like The Walking Dead or something like that is it isn't, like, I went and saw this movie, I like this character, I want an expansion on what I've already seen. It's that I need to go and try to understand where the book is right now and what the history of the book is and what history is relevant and whatever. Whereas when you pick up Walking Dead, number one, you read it in a straight line. And, like, you've seen that, like, the show has had consistent impact on the sales of that book because it's, like, a kind of... uh it feels like more of a package. Like it feels like there is a more natural progression of like, I like the show. Let's go check out the comic. And I would also say that the movies aren't actually good for drawing in readers. They're good for awareness and for the brand. But when you actually want to bring readers in, you have to retarget them and remarket to them through other mediums to keep them uh, interested in the books. Like, Like that's fine for like to get people to realize, Oh look, they made a movie and it's based on a comic. That's cool, but you have to actually get them to convert to actually buy those things. And movies if, if don't that do that. Argument works, if you, the argument you just made works for the Marvel and DC films, then why doesn't that argument work for things like Harry Potter? It does. I don't see that because if you, you just said that, that Harry Potter and Game of Thrones – that people go and check those things out after watching them. Because they advertise the, the books and they advertise, you know, you don't advertise issue number 27 of The Avengers. You have, But you advertise book one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of uh, I think Harry it Potter. depends. And to Marco's point from earlier that like the fact that like you have to come in and there's this like continuity and everything there's this like i need to understand all these years of history and what book should i pick up and it's not simple it's not simple to go from watching black panther to picking up black with uh with certain characters there's definitely a relation batman's a primary example when dark knight and dark knight rises came out people were definitely buying uh dark knight returns buying the killing joke buying these more very accessible batman titles because 
for whatever reason, Batman's a character that's always had a lot of kind of very successful and very prominent one-off books that exist in their own continuity. But that's not always the case with characters like Doctor Strange or Captain America. Even though it is, but it's less accessible to the public at large, I guess. I think we can all agree, though. We want more people to enjoy the shit we like. <laughs> well, that said, we're going to wrap up the first episode of the Comics Pals podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed what we did here. Um, this gives you an idea of the kind of show this is going to be. Uh we're going to have conversations about what's happening in the news. We're going to have conversations about uh, things that are that are really important in the industry, the controversial topics, um, you know, the stuff that really gets us going and gets us excited. And we're going to be buffoons because that's what we all are. Um, if you like what you heard here and you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like, comment and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share it with a friend. Help us out. Um, yeah, yeah. Please do. Uh, if you're listening to iTunes, leave us a comment. That would be great. And rate us. Hey, you know what? Even if you don't like us, uh, let us know. Rate us. Give us a one star. We need the ratings. The ratings help uh, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Uh, it helps people find us. Yeah, tell so, us Tell us why uh, you think we're garbage. If you, if you like us, tell us about your friends. If you don't like us, tell us... Uh, Tell us to your enemies. <laughs> every every rating is going to be two stars. Controversial opinion. Don't like Phil. <laughs> That's not that controversial, though. You swarmy motherfuckers. All right, so before we wrap things up, I think we have to get through some plugs, right? Yep. Pete, why don't you start us off? All right, cool. So if you guys want to see more of me, uh, you know, obviously come back next week for another episode of the Comics Pals podcast, or you can find me talking about video games and other nonsense over on my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash. Uh, we have a podcast every Monday, Let's Plays every Tuesday, what is it, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. There you go. And Wednesdays, we usually do special shows. So come check it out. I'd love for you to come hang out with us. Well, you can always find me at Woe is Marco on all social media. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you really want to combat me, I will throw down with all of you. I will suplex you through tables. I will stone cold stun you so that you spit <laughs> beer out of your mouth. Come find me at, so at Cyborg Holiday on Twitter and Instagram where I post pictures of my cat. <laughs> his cat is he's fucking the best, adorable, man. By He's the got way. a little Harry Potter bolt on his nose. He's the cat that lived. But um, <clears throat> that's enough about my cat. We can always talk about him for an entire episode next week. But, can we do an uh, episode just about our cats? That'd be fucking dope shit. Uh, Holiday. Spelt like uh, Doc Holiday, the old western figure. And so yeah, Cyborg Holiday. And uh, find me there and I will fucking wreck your shit. Kale. Uh, I'm going to plug uh, my comics company, Panels Publishing. Uh, like I said, we're a small uh, comics company that is really focused on uh, trying to get novice creators into the uh, industry. Um, you can find us on Facebook at uh, Panels Comics. You can find us on Twitter at, at Panels Comics with an X. Um, we're on Comixology, and you can find my uh, my uh, first issue uh, premiere book, From the Deep, uh, on Comixology. And uh, our website is panelspublishing.com, where you can find our uh, links about uh, the whole crew. And our uh, you'll find our, our web store on there as well. 
cool marco marco uh if you guys want to hear more from me uh, you guys can check out my band soundcloud uh, we've been doing a lot of shows so we haven't had a chance to update that but we are releasing some of the audio tracks that we have recorded and we're gonna be putting up uh, within the next week or so and you can also follow the other podcast i help produce parlapod uh, it's a podcast about mostly swamp uh, thing but we do also have a weekly edition <laughs> where it's just sort of pop culture stuff so check us out that's all uh, splurge so pearl pod and splurge so thanks again for listening guys and we are the comics pals signing off take care see, see ya wouldn't want to be Bye. Ya. i love everyone <laughs>